Ah, yes. Welcome back to MLB Morning Coffee here on a Thursday. Happy April to you and yours. Like we said, we're going to interrupt the top 10 episodes when we have news to talk about. And today we do have news to talk about. My name is Greg Mraz, your host. We are coming to you from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California, the greatest city in the world. My opinion, obviously, you can put that up to debate, but this is where we do the show, this is where we choose to live, and this is where we make our bread and butter. A couple of housekeeping items to attend to. want to thank everybody that tuned into our episode with Luke Farrell, the Texas Rangers relief pitcher. I can tell you, we are going to have more major leaguers on the program in the coming month. I have got a great pipeline of guests that I'm starting to line up. I think it's going to give a great perspective into what baseball life is like right now and a good perspective into what it was like for a lot of those guys coming from their beginnings and making it to the major leagues. Everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has a different blueprint for how they achieve their success, and I believe it is my duty to be able to tell that story to you because there are a lot of these guys' stories that don't get honestly told, and that's what we want to bring to you here entertaining and fun conversation, but also an insight into how these guys made themselves into what they are right now. And I think that we have the ability and the platform to be able to do that. Secondly, I want to let you all know that our episode with Luke Farrell, combined with a lot of other episodes that were listened to on Monday, made MLB Morning Coffee's highest single download day ever. So I want to thank everybody that tuned in, whether it be to the Luke Farrell episode or to another episode. It means the world to me. I think that this show is taking off, and we are going to have ourselves a dedicated following going forward. If you have criticisms of this show, comments, critiques, write a review, leave a rating, subscribe, email me, greg.maraz at yahoo.com. Yes, I know I'm giving out my personal email address, but quite frankly, I don't care. I want your response. I want your feedback. I want suggestions. If you have great guest ideas, if you have segment ideas, if you've liked the top 10 series, if you think that I should do something on a different scale in regards to long-form storytelling, that's what we want to do. With no baseball right now, we want to find different ways to explore creating content. Everybody else across podcast platforms, television platforms, radio platforms, they're all finding different ways to do this right now. So I want to make sure that we are giving you the best opportunity to listen to a great story or a great segment or a great interview. Another thing I would like to address here, and I would like to welcome somebody to the MLB Morning Coffee family, our VP of Business Operations. Yes, we're a small, homegrown podcast, but we have somebody that's trying to make this even bigger and better than it already is. And granted, it's not that big yet, but we're trying to make it as good as it can be. My good friend from college, Patrick Miller, has joined as our VP of Business Operations. Patrick is a friend of college. He reached out to me after listening to a few episodes. He had some ideas. He wants to help grow the product. And so Pat is going to be in consult with me on trying to make MLB Morning Coffee into the premier daily baseball podcast. That is his goal. We are trying to scale this thing to where it's a national brand. I know you're probably thinking, your podcast is less than two months old. You're nowhere close to that. Yeah, I get that. I have the self-introspection of that. But you know what? I have big dreams. Pat's got big dreams, too. And he is doing this all for the love of the product. So, Pat Miller, welcome as our VP of Business Operations. Now, we interrupt the Top 10 series because we do have news. 
And the reason why we do it today is that there have been rumors going around, and they were somewhat confirmed today by Matt Spiegel of 670thescore.com. And Matt is somebody that hosts Hit and Run, which is the score's weekend baseball show. Spiegel used to be just a normal talk host. He's been scaled back by the station, but Spiegel fills in a lot there. But he's very well connected to Major League Baseball sources. And so Spiegel dropped a couple of bombs on Twitter today that may give us an idea about what Major League Baseball's plan is if and when a season gets started. So I want to read you the tweets that Spiegel wrote so that you have an idea as to what we're talking about. The first tweet begins... From a well-informed source that does business with multiple MLB execs, the 100-game season being discussed would include eliminating the All-Star game in Los Angeles, but would deliver a neutral field warm-weather World Series at Dodger Stadium as compensation. The 100-game season being discussed would begin July 1st, eventually pick up the post-All-Star game schedule, and conclude October 15th. If the Dodgers made the World Series, road games would take place in Anaheim or San Diego. Obviously, many questions remain, and talks are fluid. So, this is a really interesting concept for a multitude of reasons. I want to start off, before we get to the more ridiculous concept of it, is the 100-game schedule. I had thought that Major League Baseball would be fine just accepting an 81-game schedule and starting whenever they were able to and then playing neutral site games into November just because of weather issues in some potentially cold-weather northern cities that start to get snow and really cold weather come November. That's what I thought that they would do. But Major League Baseball is trying to plan for a best-case scenario. And what this 100-game season means is that that's what they view as the best-case scenario. Now, some of the guys haven't even broken this news yet. Like, you haven't seen anything from Jeff Passan or Ken Rosenthal on this. But some of the elements that are key to examine about 100 games. Again, a best-case scenario July 1. They obviously put this in place because they want to have a structure for when they might be able to approve activity again. So let's look at our timelines. Right now, Major League Baseball has said in their temporary labor deal that they are not going to start unless they can have fans in the stands. That obviously is subject to change, but look at the timelines from where we're at. It's April 2nd today. Major League Baseball's initial stoppage basically said that they would not begin resuming any activity until Memorial Day at the earliest. Again, that's at the earliest, the end of May. So if you were to have a mini spring training to get guys ramped up again, how long would that take? Most teams think at minimum you need two weeks. But if they're saying July 1, then that makes me think it's going to end up being longer. So let's just say three weeks and you end up starting June 7th. So you go June 7th until the end of June, and then you can start July 1. That's best case scenario. If it looks like at the end of April that that's not going to happen, and you're going to have to extend a lot of these crowd-gathering bans and shelter-at-home orders until June, then that plan is scrapped and off the table. But Major League Baseball wants to have this there so that there is a structure to build off of if they have to adjust. I think it's a good idea to have this 100-game schedule in place so that if you do have a best-case scenario, and granted, I think the likelihood of that is slim to none, that you can maximize the amount of games that you're going to play. 
The format of the schedule is interesting because it looks like they're going to modify it up until when the All-Star break was supposed to happen. Again, as a part of maximizing the regular season, they're getting rid of the All-Star game. And you think of the All-Star break as a chance to give guys some time off? Well, they already have a whole lot of time off. They've had enough time off. They want to get back at it. They're ball players. They want to get back on the field. So if they don't have many off days from July 1 until the end of October in what's going to be a condensed regular season, then so be it. They'll sacrifice that to be able to play baseball. And quite frankly, I don't blame them. But the interesting part of it is that they're trying to resume the already scheduled schedule after the All-Star break. So a modified schedule from July 1 until the end of the All-Star break and then pick up the schedule that was already in place prior to the scheduled start of the 2020 season. So what this means is, is that you're going to have an unbalanced schedule. If you redid the schedule entirely, you could make it a balanced schedule. You could have more games with divisional opponents. Make sure that you have that split evenly. You could have minimal interleague series, which personally, at this point in time, when you're talking about only 100 games, I don't think they really provide much value. I think you want to see what the level of the competition is against mainly, number one, your own division, but number two, against the rest of your own league. I don't think having interleague series matters that much, but I think that if you do have interleague series, and you have to because the leagues are balanced at 15 and 15, that you have to make sure that every team has a balanced amount of interleague series in order to make sure that the schedules aren't unbalanced in terms of the strength of schedule from one opponent to the next. The great thing about baseball, unlike football, is that you can play pretty much everybody. You'll play everybody in your own league. You'll play everybody in your own league on a relatively balanced schedule. Now, Normally in baseball, it'll work that if you play one opponent nine times in a year, you'll have a three-game series at home or two three-game series on the road or vice versa against opponents that are not in your division. Normally, you're going to end up playing 19 games apiece against each of the teams in your own division, which I think you still have to have that type of balance when you're trying to modify a schedule, and I don't think that's necessarily going to end up being the case. But you do have to remember that this is not normal. This is not a normal scenario. And I think Major League Baseball will have to take the concessions where they have to take the concessions. And teams, whether they're happy about their schedules or not, are just going to have to live with it. It's not going to be fair. It's either this way or the highway. But if you did end up having an 81-game schedule, you could effectively chop your current opponents in half and just guarantee that you play your divisional opponents the same amount of time. So if you're supposed to play them 19 times each in a season, you cut that a little more than in half because you obviously can't play half a game and you end up playing them 10 times each. And I think that you have half your games pretty much against divisional opponents if it were to be an 81-game schedule. Now, moving forward with the really obscure idea of the neutral site World Series. Now, if it had to happen because of weather, I understand that. But automatically declaring that the World Series is going to be at Dodger Stadium? Come on! You can't do this! Home field advantage is what makes playoff baseball great. If you can still play a World Series in a warmish weather city like San Francisco, it's not going to be you know, 70 degrees and sunshiny every day in November, but it doesn't snow here. If you can handle 55 and fog, which most baseball players can, you can still play a World Series. 
So why, if the Giants made the World Series, would they have to go down to L.A. to play it? That's not fair, especially if, like, the Angels are in the World Series by some chance. That's a home field advantage for them. You know, you just come up from Orange County and boom, you're right there at Dodger Stadium. A neutral site World Series should not be reparations for taking away an All-Star game. That's just terrible. And I mean, I want to know who came up with that idea. If it was the Dodgers that came up with that idea, then shame on them. Because that is horrible for baseball. Absolutely horrible. You play the World Series in the home team's ballparks if you get the opportunity to. If weather does not allow you to, then you make contingency plans to play it somewhere else. Now, I do understand that if you delay the season to a certain point, certain cities are not going to be in play. So I think what you have to do is if you make a decision on a neutral site World Series, which is, in my opinion, you already have heard me exhaust this, it's not to automatically declare a neutral site World Series. You go into the playoffs, and every team has to declare that if we make the World Series, it will be played at a neutral site. You know, teams, when they're advancing in playoff series, they don't know where they're going to go play next. Fans don't necessarily buy their tickets right away, but if you're able to just give maybe a couple of days of notice, you'd be able to get a lot of fans to travel to a neutral site World Series, especially if it's a team like, let's just say, the Seattle Mariners, for instance, who have never appeared in a World Series. They're the only team that has never appeared in the World Series. I bet Mariner fans would 1,000% travel to wherever a neutral site World Series is. But wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm having a brainchild, I'm having a brainchild here. The Mariners could play the World Series at home because they play in a dome. They play in a retractable stadium, which means they can play at home. They don't have to worry about weather. And thus your neutral site World Series idea is totally invalid. It would be invalid for teams like the Brewers or the Tampa Bay Rays or the Marlins. His heaven's sake, the Marlins made the World Series. Or the Astros. Totally invalid. You're only worrying about teams like the Twins or the Yankees, Mets, Red Sox, Northern Cities that are going to get really cold, the Cubs, the White Sox, heck, the Pirates, Phillies. I could just keep naming off teams but I don't think you can automatically declare that the World Series will be at a neutral site. It just doesn't work like that. I think you have to determine based on who is in the playoffs that you could do a neutral site World Series, but let's just say that the playoffs are a bunch of teams that are from warm weather cities where you don't have to worry about this weather. Then your neutral site World Series theory is pretty much kaput. Now here's the kicker. If the Dodgers were to make the World Series they would play road games in either Anaheim or San Diego. So there wouldn't be as much of a home field advantage, but the Dodgers would have a home field advantage and then someone of a home field advantage just down I-5 in either Anaheim or San Diego. I hate this idea. I absolutely hate it. I think it's going to get voted down. I think the owners are all going to buddy up against the Dodgers and say this is a bad idea. And if Rob Manfred has some sort of executive power and approves this, I think he is once again putting his foot straight up his behind. Now, I don't actually think that you could do that. that You'd have to have some pretty flexible knees. But if he could, he would be doing that 1,000%. 
Here's a thought. If you want to reward the Dodgers for missing the All-Star game, just give them a future All-Star game. You haven't scheduled all of these out yet. Just give them the next available All-Star game that hasn't been scheduled. That's your solution, not some stupid reparations neutral site World Series. Ah! Now, those are the greatest details that we have of this supposed plan at this point. We don't know anything more other than what Matt Spiegel tweeted and that he gets it from good MLB sources. I want to make a couple of suggestions as to how you could improve this 100-game plan, whether it be regular season or playoffs. Here's my regular season plan. You're going to end up getting rainouts. So every series, if you can make it, if you can find a way to modify the schedule, I think you do that first. I think you have to create a whole new schedule because I think if you're going off of the schedule that you already had, and granted we already got into this, but there are a myriad of problems that could arise. Most importantly, rainouts. So what do you do? If you build a new schedule, you have to designate the final game of that series as a doubleheader day. Every series needs to be able to play a doubleheader if needed. Now, if there is a rainout on the last game of a series, obviously that is a big problem. But if you get a rainout the first or second day of the series, the doubleheader automatically happens on the last day of the series. You have that option for every single series that is played in an outdoor stadium. This way you make sure that you're maximizing the amount of games that you're playing. So let's say that there aren't any available dates or you have games rained out in the last game of series. Here's what you do. You build in a four-day block between the end of the regular season and the playoffs. Maybe you make it shorter. Maybe it's two or three days where you make up all of the lost games in that period at a neutral site, at a place where you know they are going to be played the nearest geographically available domed stadium. That's where you make up the games, so you make sure the games happen. And you could put multiple teams in those cities to make sure that, hey, you have it like a tournament, like at 10 a.m. we'll have the Rangers and the Red Sox, and at 1.05 p.m. we will have the Brewers and the Cubs. Well, more than likely, the Brewers would be at home because... They play in a domed stadium, and I don't know why I'm doing this voice at this point. There we go, back to normal. But that's what you do. Now the playoff format itself. Here's my recommendation. You shorten the first two rounds of the playoffs to best of five series. Now the first series, the divisional round, is already best of five. I think you make the championship series best of five as well. Or if you really want to make an impact and make sure that you have a condensed playoff so that the regular season can go longer, you make the first round, the divisional round, best of three, the champ series, best of five, the World Series remains best of seven. I don't think you can change that at this point. Some people may say, well, it's unfair. If teams get down early, they won't have a chance to come back. Well, you know what? These are precarious times. This is a precarious situation. You're going to have to make adjustments on the fly. And if a couple of teams aren't happy because they're not going to get a chance to play a seven-game series in the ALCS, then you know what? That's just too darn bad. You had to make the adjustments. This is hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime scenario that nobody in sports will ever have to deal with again. So that's why you make these adjustments right here. The wild card. 
I think for this year alone, you go back to the four-team playoff scenario for each league. Have the best record that did not win a division win your lone wild card. If you have a condensed schedule, I think the best team amongst the 12 teams that did not win their division should end up being the team that goes to the playoffs. It rewards the regular season. Now, when the one-game playoff first came in back in 2013, a lot of people were like, hey, you know what, just win your division. Well, you can prove yourself to be the best team over 162 games, over 100 games, possibly less. I'm not sure that necessarily shows that. So you fix that by eliminating one of the wildcard teams so that there's no disparity between who really should be in and who's only in because they got hot at the right time. Again, the emphasis still, win your division, you don't want to be the wild card, but there could be situations that develop that you have two teams that have better records than a divisional opponent. So on that argument, you say, well, what about the divisional opponent? Because their record wasn't nearly as good as the team that is going to get left out of the playoffs. Well, I think for this year, you have to just say too darn bad. They're not going to abandon the division system, although I think that might be a good idea for one year only. Keep the division system in terms of your scheduling, but nothing else. I don't think that will happen, but I think if you go down to four playoff teams for just this year, you will have a greater value on the regular season, at least the regular season that you are going to get. But what happens if it's not 100 games? What happens if you can only play 90 or 81 or possibly less than that? What's your plan of attack from there? How do you go about this season in that scenario? I don't necessarily know. And maybe Major League Baseball has contingency plans for however long of a regular season they would end up playing. They may already have plans for a 60 or 50 game season. Now, I don't think you can cut the season in a third and still consider it a legitimate season. But if they want to make revenue and they want to bring baseball back into the lexicon at some point in the fall, if they're able to, again, all sports depend upon the pattern of the coronavirus. If it's not safe for people to be around each other and it is still a gigantic problem for the health and safety of everyone involved, you can't play. But if you have a chance to get any baseball in this year, you have to make a plan for X, Y, Z, A, B, whatever. Doesn't matter. Have a plan for whatever scenario. It's not like your logistics department, and granted, I don't think Major League Baseball has a logistics department, but if they did, I don't think your logistics department has really got much going on right now. Okay, maybe they do in terms of contingency plans, but that is it. Your logistics department should be working on contingency plans. Every contingency plan. They should be coming to their bosses every day. I have a plan for a 35-game season. I have a plan for a 55-game season. I have a plan for if the season starts September 1. I have a plan if the season starts August 1st. Okay, doesn't matter. You make these plans, and you use the one that you have to use. That's what you do. That's how you fix it. Period. End of story. Oh, and by the way, roster sizes. I think that you should have expanded rosters if you're going to play games in a condensed amount of time. Who cares? Everybody wants to save their pitching. Everybody wants to make sure that they're healthy come playoff time. Allow three extra pitchers on the rosters. If you're going to have to play doubleheaders, you're going to need a sixth starting pitcher. You're going to need a guy that can go five innings whenever he might be called upon. 
I don't think people are going to oppose that. And then you bring the rosters back down to 26 for the playoffs. And that's your solution for keeping guys fresh and making sure they don't get injured. Now, I talked about this on my Chicago Bulls podcast, Hoop Ball Bulls, which, by the way, you should go check out on the Hoop Ball Network. I am diversifying across all sports. I just brought that show back after a couple-week hiatus. But back in 2012, when the NBA went on strike and Derrick Rose tore his ACL in a condensed 66-game season, I believe that his ACL was compromised because they were playing so many games in a short amount of time. Some people might think that that injury was unlucky, but I think it was because they had to play 66 games from Christmas time until the normal start of the NBA playoffs in April. Normally they have, at least at that point, you started the very end of October, not Christmas time. So you only cut the schedule back by 16 games, but you basically condense the season by two months. So 16 less games, but you squeezed in 66 games in two less months, which that's a lot of back-to-backs. That's a lot of stress on guys' knees and ankles. You could see the same problem in baseball if you basically build in maybe three total off days the entire season. I still don't think that Major League Baseball is going to end up following through with using the already scheduled schedule post-All-Star break. I just don't think that can happen. I don't think that's feasible. So I think that you're probably going to end up seeing different variations of a schedule. That also brings up an interesting point. If you want to get more games in, I think you basically need to play half your games against divisional opponents and have them in a period of time that's very close to each other. Like, make the last 25 games of the season all divisional opponents. Or rather, if you want to make it even, how about the last 24 games of the season? And you were able to have eight three-game series, depending on whoever they may be against. Eight three-game series. And that's what you do. Keep the travel to a minimum. Make sure that you're playing the teams that matter the most, that you have a true idea of who is the best team in that division. In fact, if it gets to a point where you can't play more than about maybe 50 games, I think you play them all against the teams in your division. Look, I worked in an independent league in 2017. It was a four-team league. You played the same three teams the entire season, lasting 80 games. It got monotonous, but you know what? That was the deal. That's what we had to work with, and we made it work. Now, granted, I got tired of seeing Pittsburgh, Vallejo, and Sonoma every other week and having some instances where you ended up, because of the schedule, playing the same team nine games in a row. That just happens. You got to deal with it. And I think if you want to maximize your output on baseball and make sure you're not traveling a lot, make sure that you can get a lot of games in in a row without any off days, you take this route. You take this route because it's the best route to maximize the season. The whole point of this entire episode is that there is a plan in place. The plan is good in some facets, bad in other facets, but at least there's a plan. At least Major League Baseball is thinking that if they can restart by this July 1 date, that you will have a 100-game season. The plan has a lot of flaws to it. As we said, the neutral site World Series is a horrible idea. But you have to start somewhere and then make adjustments from there. 
It's effectively building the foundation and then making the tweaks. Because if you don't have a foundation, you're doomed. Give you an idea of what is coming up next for us here on MLB Morning Coffee. Friday morning, we are going to have another top 10 list. That's right, we will do another top 10 list. It is going to be the top 10 Toronto Blue Jays. So we're deciding to go north of the border, and we're going to do the top 10 Toronto Blue Jays. On Saturday morning, we are going to have another top 10 list, the top 10 Arizona Diamondbacks, and we're going to be doing that with my good friend Alex Eshelman. She is a graduate of the University of Arizona. She was a cheerleader on the Arizona Cheer Squad. She was an intern and worked at Fox Sports Arizona, so she did a lot of coverage of the Diamondbacks as an intern and is a colleague of mine at Pac-12 Network. So really excited to get her on the air. I think you are going to absolutely love her. She is going to be a star in the broadcasting industry. She's got one of the best attitudes that you can imagine, and I'm just really looking forward to her coming on. We'll be off on Sunday, and then on Monday, we are going to have another conversation with a Major League Baseball player. I'm going to tease it for you right now. He plays for the Minnesota Twins. So that's as much as you will know right now. We are going to be talking with a Minnesota Twins player on Monday. That's it for this edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Again, if you haven't listened to some of our other top ten lists yet, we have the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Cubs to go along with the Rays, which you just published yesterday. Make sure you go back and listen to those. If you want to hear our conversation with Luke Farrell, Texas Rangers reliever, that is also available for consumption. We'll be back tomorrow with our top 10 Toronto Blue Jays. But until then, be safe and we'll catch you in the AM.